sake of time this morning, turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter number 25. Be in prayer for us this morning. Uh, Somebody who has a a better prayer life than I do prayed a hex on me and there's something going on with my throat. So we need more people praying for us than against us this morning and pray that we'll be able to get the message out as the Lord would have us to. Exodus chapter 25, if you'll go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read through some verses we touched on early in our theme Sunday, two Sundays ago. Exodus 25 and verse number 1, we're about to read God's commandment to Moses as he desires to dwell among his people in what he'll call the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, we're seeing what God tells Moses he would have the people to do to participate in the opportunity of building the tabernacle. Exodus 25, 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them. Now he's fixing to give a building materials list of all of the things that the people can come and give to participate in the building of the tabernacle. The Bible says, Ye shall take of them, verse 3, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple scarlet fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins of shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Now watch verse number 8. He culminates and gives them the end product that they're going to be working toward. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the privilege of being here today. And Lord, we do give you glory for all the things that you've already done. Father, for loving us enough to send Jesus to die that we could be saved. And then Father, giving us a wonderful church that we could come together, Lord, and serve you and worship you. And Lord, that we could come together and find our place and Lord, fulfill our purpose. I pray that you'd help us today through the word. I pray you'd help our voice, Lord, to be able to preach what you'd have us to. And Lord, most importantly, help us just to do your will, to say what you'd have us to say. Lord, I pray that right now, everyone under the sound of my voice, Father, would go ahead and decide that we're going to do your will today in the service, whatever it may be, for the lost to be saved and for the saved, Lord, to be obedient to how you lead them through your word today. And Lord, for what you do, I thank you, I praise you, and we'll give you the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking this morning, uh, you know, it's hard to find something good on television nowadays, and uh, oftentimes our family reverts back to uh, videos and shows of yesteryear. And I think I've told you before, my daughter was disappointed several years ago to find out that so many of her people that she likes to watch on television are either dead or really, really old. Uh, we like to watch the Beverly Hillbillies and the Andy Griffiths show and Petticoat Junction, things along that line, and they're pretty safe. You don't have to worry about them. You don't have to worry about the commercials, and uh, it's sad today that you even have to worry about commercials, uh, that there's profanity. As a matter of fact, I told somebody the other day, I sent Burger King an email. I don't normally do that, but I sent Burger King an email the other day because they even include profanity in their burger commercial now, and how sad it is that they appeal to the baseness uh, of human nature and that old flesh to sell hamburgers. You must be pretty hard up to have to do that, but that's what they're doing now. But uh, one of the shows we enjoy watching is, uh, it's one my dad introduced us to years ago, uh, called Ma and Pa Kettle. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, I see a lot of you shaking your head uh, that are over the age of 50. Uh, We'll put it that way to be nice. And uh, some of you are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I encourage you, if you have an opportunity, go go look it up, go watch some of it. Uh, The Ma and Paul Kettle series is a pretty good show. It's very clean, and they actually teach some good morals. And uh, what I love about Paul Kettle is I can relate to him very well. Uh, if you get to know Paul Kettle, you see a picture of him up there, and what a, what a good picture that is of his wife trying to motivate him a little bit with the pitchfork, because Paul Kettle was known for not being one that was easily motivated. Uh, he lived on an old dilapidated farm. I have a picture of it. I'll show it to you here, and uh, yeah, beware of children. If you watch the show, you'll understand what that's all about, and uh, he lived on this old farm. It was dilapidated. It was kind of falling in, and all the time, Ma and all the kids were doing the work, and they would come and tell Paul, we need to fix that. And Paul Kettle would always say, I'm going to get around to that, you know, one of these days. And uh, he says, I need you to fix the screen door. You know, the screen door's falling apart. And he says, well, 
I went to so-and-so to borrow a hammer, and he lent it out to somebody else, and he says, I'm waiting for Joe to return the hammer to John so that I can fix the gate. He says, you know that old Joe, he just never gets anything done. There was Paul Kettle who had good ideas of what he wanted to do. Paul Kettle always had grand visions of fixing things up and making the farm be what it could be. But Paul Kettle was long on vision and very short on action. He had great plans on what he wanted to do, but he never really acted upon those plans, and that's why the farm was in the shape it's in. And I was thinking this morning, you know, Paul Kettle would have made a good politician, wouldn't he? He's very good on vision, but very slow on action. But I thought about the church this morning. And how often I think we become Paul Kettle Christians in a lot of the way that we live our lives. We have a great vision of what we believe God wants to do, and you get a vision from the Word of God. You don't have to get it from the pastor, but God gives us a vision about what He wants the church to do in the new year. I've shared it with you, and we're going to work toward that in 2020. But ultimately, you can have a vision, but sooner or later, you have to act upon that. It's not something the church can just come together and vote on and say, we're going to vote to be active in 2020. No, it happens in the heart and life of every individual of this church deciding, I'm going to be engaged in 2020. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to find my place and fulfill our purpose. So often we forget what we looked at two weeks ago is that God works through people. Remember, we're not praying that God would do something for us. We're praying that God would do something through us in the new year. And I hope and I pray that our church will not adopt the Paul Kettle style of Christianity where we have a great vision of what we desire to be done through God in this place, but we never put any action to it. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, we see a vision, if you will, of what God tells the people he would like to do. He wants done, verse number 8. Uh, He wants a sanctuary built, a place that he may dwell among them. And he lays out exactly how they're going to accomplish the vision of what he desires they do. He gives them a building material list, verse number 3 through verse number 8. He tells them how to do it. But sooner or later, here's what's going to have to happen. If that vision is going to come to fruition, if they're ever going to see what God says could be there, they're going to have to personally invest in the work of God. Verse number 3 through verse number 8 shows us some of the substance that he tells them they can bring. Offerings of gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet, fine linen and goat's hair. I told you two weeks ago, it's wonderful that God gave a wide array of materials that they could contribute to in order to fulfill God's will. Look, not everybody could give gold, but some folks could give goat's hair. But not only was it substance in verse 3 through verse number 8, look down at verse 10. The Bible says, and they shall make an ark. Verse number 11, they shall overlay it with pure gold. Verse 12, they, thou shalt cast four rings of gold forward. If you read all the way down, I mean, you keep reading to the end of chapter number 25, you'll see the word make repeated over and over again. So not only were the people given opportunity to supply substance, but they were given the opportunity to supply themselves. This work had to be done by somebody. You couldn't just come and give an offering and say, here, I've got the goat's hair, figure out what to do with it. No, some people actually had to put their hands to the work and give themselves in order to fulfill the vision of what God desired to do. Now, folks, understand, when God provides an opportunity for us to serve him, we have an opportunity to serve him not only with our substance, but we have an opportunity to serve with ourselves. Oftentimes, those are the two things that are missing for God's work to get done. Now, here's what's a beautiful picture we'll see this morning. God gave everybody an opportunity to invest in some way to the work that he was deciding to do. And here's what I want to stick with you for a moment. In the end, what would be built would be evidence of what the people were willing to invest. Think about that. What would be built... And the tabernacle that would be there for the people to come and worship God there, what would be built would be a representation of what the people desire to invest, whether through their substance or through their self. And so this morning, here's the message. I'm going to give you four points. Don't get get upset. I'm giving you four. Wednesday night, I gave you two, and we went about 20 minutes over. So maybe more points means less time. I don't know. We'll figure out the equation sooner or later. But here's the message this morning. When a vision becomes visible, when a vision becomes visible, 
Now, two weeks ago, I shared with you what was on my heart for the new year for our church, that Ephesians 4.16, that every part would make increase, that every person that's been called to this place, every member of this body of believers would make increase, would be engaged in the will of God for Central Baptist Church. That's what God's put on my heart. And understand, I believe that's a vision from God. That's what God wants us to be. He tells us that the body comes together in unity, and every part of that body should make increase, should be involved and engaged to produce the will of God, what God set out for us to do. Now, folks, if we're going to see what God wants become visible, we're going to have to put some action to it. And I believe he gives us an example of how to do that in Exodus chapter number 25. Now, there's four things we need to recognize. If the vision of what God's given us to do is going to become visible, if we're going to see what God desires to do in this place in 2020, there's some things we must recognize that we must do, and there are things that the children of Israel had to do. So let's look down, if we could, to Exodus 25. Look back, if you will, to verse number 8. Verse number 8, he gives them basically what they're working toward. He gives them a glimpse to the end of the road, if you will. Notice he uses the word in verse number 8. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is the end product. Look at the end product. Now, I've, uh, I've never uh, did a sales pitch to get people to invest in something that I was selling. I've never really uh, sold anything. I'm not a very good salesman. Uh, I go out, I'm giving out Jesus. You know, he's the free gift of salvation, but I've never gone out to try to really sell anything. When I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout and tried to sell popcorn, you know, and I never did win the prizes for the best seller of the popcorn. I'm just not a good salesman, but if you are a salesman, and you want people to invest in what you're trying to offer, the first thing you need to do is show them the end product of what they're working toward. And in verse number 8, God says, what I want, the end product of this, is going to be a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God says, I want to give you a picture of what will happen if each and every one of you will come together, invest your substance, and invest yourself in what I desire to do. I have a picture hanging on the wall in my office. I think I sent it to you guys earlier. It's a picture of Walt Disney. You know, we go to Disney every year. And it's a picture of Walt Disney. Uh, and the picture of him is standing on the property where the Cinderella Castle would be. I think you can see the castle superimposed there on the picture. When he got ready to build Walt Disney World, he went down to South Florida. He found where the interstates cross and a nice warm climate that could stay open all year long. And it was just swampland. It was just, I'm talking about flooded, it was alligators, nobody would ever want that property. I believe it sold for about $500 an acre. But what he did was he went down to this place and began to share with them of how he wanted to build a place that would become the top tourist destination in the entire world. And he showed them not what was there, he showed them what could be and what would be, and lo and behold, it's what is. The top tourist destination in the world is Walt Disney World. But what did he have to do? He had to convince people of what was not there would be there. He showed them the end product. Now, folks, what should get us willing to invest of our substance and invest of ourselves into the work of God is what God desires could be in this place if we are just willing. Now, what does God want in this place? Verse 8 says what he wanted there was a sanctuary, a place that he could dwell among them. The word sanctuary means dwelling place. It means a tent of meeting. God says, I want a place that I could come and dwell. Notice in verse 8, he says, among them. God says, I want a place where I can come and be close to them and they can be close to me. God says, I want you to build a place where people can come and they can meet me and they can come and be in my presence. You see, the tabernacle was a place that people could come and get to know God. Now, isn't that interesting this morning? What has God called us to this place for? A place that we can come and fellowship? No, that's just a side thing. I love the fellowship of our church. I love fellowship with our people. But that's just a side benefit. We come here to hear good music, and oh, do we hear good music. That's not even why God wants us to build this place. Can I tell you what God's called us to do here at Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi? It's to come together, invest our substance, and invest ourselves that there might be a place in this town where people could come and meet and get to know God. I fear that you're hard-pressed to find a place like this in every city in America. 
It's hard to find a church where you come and you meet God, and then after you meet God, to come and get to know God. That's the purpose of the church. We've got to have a place where God's people can come and we can get close to God. By the way, you ought to be thankful this morning that God desires to be close to us and us to him. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd stay away from people like me. I wouldn't want to hang around me. I cost him the life of his only begotten son. And yet he desires to be close to me and wants me to be close to him. And folks, he desires that for people that are outside of these walls as well. And the only way that we'll have a work of God here, a place where people can come and meet God and get to know God, is if God's people decide, I'm going to invest of my substance, I'm going to invest of myself to make the will of God happen. Because remember, God works through people. So often in the word of God, we see God taking people that may not have been the most talented. They may not be the most intelligent, the most well-off, and yet God used them. Why? Because they were willing. Notice if you'll see in verse 8, or verse number 1, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Verse number 2. We'll get it sooner or later. Notice he says, bring the offering every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. God says, I'm giving you an opportunity And God says, I want to give you an opportunity to have a place where I will come and I will dwell there and you can get close to me and you can get to know me. But too often, here's what happens. In the churches around our country today, and by the way, look, we're not immune to it either here at Central. This is why you be sober and you be vigilant. So many of our churches today, we lose sight of the end product. The end product is not just to have a place that we can come and fellowship. The end product is not to have a place where we can just come and feel good. No, the end product is that this be a place that people come and they get to meet God, a place that we get to come and we get to know God. That's the end product. He said, I want a sanctuary, a place where I can dwell among you. And yet we see so often today in the churches, the end product is a good time. The end product is a good feeling. The end product is a place where my friends are. Nothing wrong with that. That's not the end product. I told one of our men yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast, Charles Spurgeon has a quote. I think I have it back there for you guys. He's got a picture of a clown on it. If you got it for me, you'll pull it up right quick. Charles Spurgeon said, there'll come a time that instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, we'll have clowns entertaining the goats. And I fear we've got there in the church today. We don't come to meet with God. We don't come to get close to God. We don't come to hear from God. We come to church to be entertained. And it used to be something that was veiled, but now it's on full display in the church today. We have no intention of getting closer to God. We have no intention on meeting with God. We have no intention on hearing from God. And let me tell you something. That's why we're here. I love the music. My goodness. I get jealous of Brother Heath's voice. I like to pretend that I can sing like him. I'm in the shower singing away, but ask my wife, how was that? And she just puts her head down. It didn't go too well. I love our music. I love our fellowship. But understand, that's not the end product. The end product is to have a sanctuary, a place where God's at, that when people outside of these four walls go to looking for God, and remember, everybody will sooner or later, that there's a place in this town that they could come to. As we go throughout 2020, I'll be meeting with our staff and meeting with our teachers and meeting with the different uh, department heads of our ministries here in our church. And one of the questions I'm going to ask them is how much do we do that has ministry value? All the events that we plan and all the opportunities that we have, nothing wrong with that. But what is the ministry value? What are we producing as far as the ministry, as the work of ministry for which God has called us here? I fear today, oftentimes, so much of what we do has very little ministry value. And yet what people in this town need is a place where they can come and meet God. They need to have a sanctuary here, a place where they can come and get to know God better after they meet him. They need to have a place where they can come and fellowship with God's people, but that's not the end result. I told my wife several years ago, um, there's this fad going around, and look, uh, I'm not saying you're going to find have a steeple in the Bible, okay? I love steeples, and I'm thankful for them, and I think you ought to have one. But you see where churches are taking their steeple down. And the pastor, he's a friend, ask him why. And he says this, he says, this is no joke. He says, our church looked too churchy. Remember, I'm not a very deep man. I had to go home and chew on that one. I had to do that with fortune cookies too. You had to go home and think on that for a little while. Our church looked too churchy. Hmm. I thought it was good that you look like what you are, you know, uh, I was telling my wife, I said, you know, when I'm, when I'm going down the road and I'm in another state or another city, if I have an emergency 
and I'm sick or I'm having a medical emergency and I'm going down the highway, do you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for those blue signs with that white cross on there. Why? Because I know that sign is going to lead me to get help. That's what I'm looking for. Look, if they started disguising hospitals to look like Walmart, we'd be in a world of trouble. I'm glad you can find the hospitals. I'm glad you can follow that sign. And the church steeples are kind of the same way. People see that steeple, it ought to remind them, that's where I can go to get help. That's where I can go to meet God. Hey, that's where I can go to get to know God. Folks walk in Central Baptist Church. It ought to be a place where they hear good music and meet nice people. But the end product ought to be a sanctuary to where they meet God and they get to know him better. If that's not what it is, then we're working on the wrong thing. I don't have the time this morning to go over this, but my soul, there are some beautiful pictures when you look, at the, you look at chapter 25 and 26 and 27, he gives you the layout of the, the tabernacle, if you will. See, the tabernacle is not just a place where they could get to know him and, and they could meet him, but the tabernacle is a place of recognition. I want to explain to you why. Uh, I want to show you an outline or a, <clears throat> a diagram of the tabernacle this morning. And I, you could probably preach for several, several weeks. Did I get you guys that picture this morning? I know I was running late getting all that. There's an outline of the tabernacle. If we have it, I'll show it. If we don't have it, we won't show it to you. But as you came there to the court, the outer court of the tabernacle, there in the forefront of the court, you had the brazen altar. The altar was the place where sacrifice would be made. Most of the time, ultimately, it was a lamb where that sacrifice would be made. And as those people would build that, we're getting ready to get to build that tabernacle and building that brazen altar. Every day, those people would pass by that place and they would see that altar. You know what that altar reminded them of? That sin, when it is finished, bringing forth death. And that's not something you want to see every day, to be honest with you. That's not something I'd want to think about every day. But in that tabernacle, God was reminding them in the place that he called them to build that sin brings forth death. Do you know at this church, it's not the most warm and fuzzy thing that you like to preach on. But when people come from outside of these walls to the inside of these walls, this needs to be a place where they find out that sin bringeth forth death. If we're going to do our job, look, that's part of our job. Now, there's some good news at the end, all right? There's good news at the end of the story. But they need to understand where they stand with God. I fear people walk in and out of church doors every Sunday morning, every Sunday night and Wednesday night all over this country and never realize that they're a sinner. Why? Because the church is not doing its job. You walk past the brazen altar and what you'll find is a a basin. It was a, a ceremonial place of cleansing for the priest. You see, the tent of the tabernacle that was made out of that black goat's hair, before the priest could enter in into that tabernacle, he would go and he would cleanse himself. And oh, how that basin reminds us that before we can come in the presence of God, we've got to be clean. God says, I want you to build this place. I want you to build a sanctuary. And every piece of that sanctuary was showing the people, ultimately, it was pointing to Christ. You go into the, to the edge of the tent and you open up the tent and there's a place called the holy place. Inside of there was the golden lampstand and the table of showbread. It was dark were it not for that golden lampstand that would represent Christ, the light of the world. But as you walk through that holy place of the tabernacle, you got to another curtain. And oh, how that curtain has so much meaning. You see, that curtain was the veil that separated. You see, not anybody could go in there because that's where God was. The presence of God came down upon the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubims in the Holy of Holies. And not just anybody could go in there. didn't have access into there because that curtain was there, separated them. They could not even come into the presence of God. But oh, how we know that when Christ was on the cross and finished the work of the cross, the Bible says the veil of that temple was rent. And that means we now have access to God. You see, folks, a church ought to be a place where people learn about their sin and learn there's a price for sin and learn to come into the presence of God. you got to be clean. And the only way to be clean is through what Christ did on the cross. And that veil of the temple was rent. And now you and I, anybody else who comes into this place can learn that they can access the presence of God through the work of Jesus Christ. But if we're not doing the job of the church, we're coming here with the end product of a good time and fellowship, then I'll tell you, we are robbing the people of our community. Because they need to know the end product is the opportunity to have fellowship with God restored. So the tabernacle was a place that ultimately would point toward Christ. Can I ask you something this morning? Is our church 
a place that points people to Christ. Ultimately, that's what the tabernacle was doing. The altar, the basin, the lampstand, the showbread, the, the, the veil of the temple, it was all pointing toward Christ. That's what we should be about this morning. So number one, notice the end product. But then there's something beautiful. Verse number eight, he makes them a promise. Notice what he says, unless they'll make me a sanctuary. Why? He says that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. Now we see what the target is. God desires that we build a church where people can come to meet God and get to know him and fellowship with him and be close to them. But here's the question we often ask. How do we get there? How do we get there? We have a vision. We have a plan. Paul Kettle had one of those too, but nothing ever became of it. So how do we get to that place? Well, there's something beautiful. I want you to turn back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Hold your place in Exodus 25. I want you to see something in Genesis 15. Now hold your spot right there. As they come to the place where God is calling them to build this tabernacle, he's given them a vision of what he desires to be done. But like any people, I would ask the question, how are we going to do what you've called us to do? And here's how it works. Ultimately, we've got to take God at his word. If he said, you know, uh, I'm not going to repeat the cliche, but back in the 80s, you know the old term, if you build it, they will come. He said, I want you to build this and I'll show up. I want you to do this and I'm going to show up. And they're going to have to take him at his word. Now look back in, in Genesis chapter 15. I want you to see verse number 13. This is when God calls Abraham. As God calls Abraham, notice what the Bible says. And he said unto Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Egypt. He's telling Abraham, your children are going to go into Egypt and they're going to serve them for 400 years. Look at verse 14. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. Notice long before they ever went into Egypt, God made them a promise that they would come out of Egypt. Can I tell you this morning what ought to make you want to invest your substance and yourself into the work of God? Listen, number one, it's the end product. That there be a sanctuary where people could get to know God, to meet God, and to get to know him even better. But the second thing is because of the everlasting promise. God made a promise to his people that he would bring them out of Egypt. If you're going to get people to invest in something, here's what they're going to do. An investor is going to tell you how he's going to accomplish what he's telling you to invest in. I, I don't have any investments as far as I know, uh, but if I had something I invested in, I wish I'd invested in Apple. Apple went on the public market the year I was born, December the 12th, 1980. When Apple went on the market, its opening value was $22 a share. $22 a share. So let me give you a scenario. If you'd invested $100 into the Apple company after they have split and they have branched out. 2019, your $100 investment into Apple at $22 a share would be worth $67,564. became $67,000. Why? Because you invested in something that had a profitable end. And if you have anything Apple, you know why it's so profitable because you're the one paying for it. The investment proved out. Can I tell you why we should be willing to invest into the work of God? Can I tell you how the vision of what God desires to do will become visible? It's because God has given us his word. And God always sees his word through. Israel had no reason to doubt what God was going to do because all they had to do was look back and see what he'd already done. He told them they were going to go and they would stay there 400 years. He told them that they would come out. He says, when you come out, you'll come out with great substance. And everything happened exactly the way that God said. What ought to motivate us this morning? We ought to be excited. Look, if I gave you an opportunity to invest in Apple this morning at $22, I bet you'd line up to do it. You'd probably even spend your tithe check to do it. I want to invest in that. Why? Because you know how it's going to be at the end. Now, folks, that's how we ought to be about investing in the work of God. We ought to be willing to invest our substance and ourselves. Why? Because the Bible tells us that faithful is he that is promised. God always keeps his word. Israel just simply had to decide whether they believed God or not. 
Now, what promise has God made us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 16, he told Peter, he says, upon this rock, not speaking of Peter, speaking of Christ, he says, I will build my church. We have a promise from God that he'll build his church. But remember, God works through people. I'm so thankful. Look, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist as the day is long. I told you I don't like being around pessimists. You go hang out, form your own club, and be pessimistic together, but I don't like being around pessimists. I'm not an optimist just because I like to think positively that the glass is half full. I'm an optimist about the things of God because faithful is he that is promised. You say, well, the world's kind of going to, going to hell in a handbasket and everything's falling apart and it's just, hey, let's just put this thing on cruise control. No, faithful as he had promised and he promised that he would build his church if we will just be willing to invest in the will of God. Well, folks, I, don't look, I believe until the trump of God sounds, he's going to build his church. The problem is we're not willing to invest of ourselves to see the will of God to come to fruition. I read a wonderful story this week about J.L. Craft. J.L. Craft is the man behind the cheese. My daughter loves that man. She doesn't know him, but one day we're going to visit his grave, and she'll put flowers on there because she loves his grilled cheese. Amen. J.L. Craft was known as one who invested in every opportunity that was provided to him as far as ministry. He gave over 25% of his income, which was worth millions and billions of dollars. And here's what he said. It's the only investment that I've ever made that has paid consistent increase in dividends is what I gave to the Lord. The only investment that I ever made that gave increasing dividends is what I invested in the Lord. Why? Because faithful is he that promised. Faithful is he that promised. You know, the greatest adventure, the greatest treasure hunt you can ever go on in your life is to find the promises of God and the word of God and seek to prove them. Faithful is he that is promised. No matter what God says, no matter what God calls us to do, no matter what purpose, no matter how high the mountain, God is faithful and he will build his church, but he wants to do it through you and I. God wanted to build a sanctuary. He said, I'm going to let you in on this. Remember, God doesn't need what we have. God gives us the opportunity to work through us. And what a privilege that we have. Matthew chapter 4, we see some men very eager to lay their nets behind and to leave their father behind. Why were they so eager? Because he said this, follow me and I will make you. You know what that was? That's a promise. He says, you do your part, you follow me and I will make you. Can I tell you folks? You ought to get in the word of God and find the promises that are in there and pursue them to see what God could only do through you. Our sad thing is, I don't know that we believe God anymore. Genesis 13, he called Abraham. He says, get up, get out of your country, out of your kindred, and go to a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. Do you know what that was? It was a promise. How can somebody turn their back on all that they know? How can somebody give up everything? Because faithful is he that promised we have an everlasting promise that God will build his church. The reason we ought to be engaged in giving, giving of ourself, giving of our time, giving of our talents, look, giving of our substance. The reason we ought to be willing to give. Why? Because faithful is he that is promised. I heard a quote years ago, a man says, you can't break the promises of God by leaning on them. That's true. You can't break the promises of God by leaning on them. We sing the song, Standing on the Promises. And that's great, but I'd like to write a, another one. I'm not, but I'd like to. Entitled, Serving by the Promises. We shouldn't just stand on and listen. We ought, to, we ought to serve by them. That God made a promise that he would build his church, and if we'll just be willing to do our part and invest of ourselves and in the will of God, we can see the end product of all that God had planned. But we miss out. Why? Because we don't claim the everlasting promise. Go back to chapter 25. I'll give you the third thing real quickly. Back in chapter 25, Exodus 25, verse number 8, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. He asked for gold, he asked for silver, and he asked for all of these things. So God says, here's how I want you to do it. I promised it, and I will keep my word. But so where are we going to get this gold from? Where are we going to get this silver from? I mean, you know these people just came out of slavery, Slaves are not known for having gold and silver. Look, when you've been uh, at somebody's beck and call and working, I mean, where are you going to get all of these things from? Well, once again, I'm very glad that you asked. 
These people are just nomads. They're wandering across the desert. I mean, it's not like gold is just laying on the side of the road. Here's something wonderful. I'm going to read this for you. Listen close. In Exodus chapter number 3, verse number 21, before Moses ever goes back to Israel, listen what God says. I mean, goes back to Egypt. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. Verse 22, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. God told Moses before he ever went back to Egypt, he says, before you go, go and borrow from them. If we get to Exodus chapter number 12, we see something happening just the way that God prescribed. Exodus chapter 12, verse 35, the Bible says, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptian jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now what's happening here? What's happening? God gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. They go to the Egyptians and they ask for gold and they ask for silver and the Egyptians gave it to them. And so here they are standing in the desert, if you will. Moses says God wants an offering of gold and of silver. Slaves would not normally have something like that, but God has already provided for what he would ask them of. Number three, how does a vision become visible? through the evidence of providence. The evidence of providence. What's wonderful is, as Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, says, that God's will done God's way will never lack God's supply. God always provides for that which he calls us to and calls us for. And the neat thing about Israel was he provided it long before they ever needed it. It's just like God. This past Christmas, my, we bought our daughter a a uh, new desk. I'm not sure about a craft desk, animator's desk. He wants to be an animator one day, draw pictures and all that. And it's this big metal desk with a glass top that moves up and down. I'm talking about it's fancy Nancy, let me tell you. And uh, my wife sent me to the store to get it. And I went to the store to get it and it came in a box about that thick, about that long and about that wide. And I get it and the, lady's, the guy says, that's it. I says, are you sure? He says, it's, it's all in there. I'm thinking, there's no way. Look, I'm not an idiot. You know, there's no way you put that desk in that box. He says, sir, I assure you, it's all in there. So I load it in the trunk and we come home and then we have that wonderful, wonderful time together of fellowship that my wife and I had on Christmas Eve of putting that thing together. We dumped the pieces all over the floor. I begin to think, it may all be here and some as we look at all the pieces. We took the instruction book and we began putting the A and B and E and F and all the pieces together. And this day in my daughter's bedroom, there is this nifty, nifty little animation desk, this craft desk that she has there. Even though I didn't realize that all the pieces of what the end product was supposed to be were already there. They just had to be put in their place. I look at our church this morning. I don't know everybody as well as I know some of you, but it's amazing to realize that all the pieces of what God desires to do in this place to have the end product, they're here. All the pieces have been provided. All that we need to do now is get the pieces and put them in their places. And when we get the pieces and put them in their places, then we end up with the end product of what God desires to do in this place. But our problem is this. Sometimes we're like that dirt cheap furniture. Remember, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And you're looking at that box and you're thinking, man, I can't believe that I can get that whole entertainment center for $4.59 and it comes in a box this big. Ah, there's a reason it's that dirt cheap. You get home, man, and you start putting things together and instead of an entertainment center, you have a cutting board ultimately. That's about all you could get out of it. Why? All the pieces were not in the box. There's no way you're going to get that out of that because you didn't have all of the pieces. And sometimes I think we're like a dirt cheap church. 
Man, what could we be if we just had all of the pieces in their places? If we had all the people to find their place and be engaged to do their part, all the end product could glorify God. The problem is God's provided the pieces, but it's tough to get them in their places. Now, folks, it's hard. You ask my dad. It's hard to get a job done when your tools keep running off. And he had two sons, so he knew everything about tools running off. Oh, what God could do with us if we just got in our place. Oh, what God could do and what God could build if we just found our place and did our part. Say, I'm going to invest myself. I'm going to invest my substance. God's called me to Central Baptist Church. And listen, 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that God set the members as it pleased him. See, that's why it's important to know where you're supposed to go to church. Because God's going to lead you to the place where you can find your part and fulfill your purpose. And so if God's led you to this place, you have a part and a place and a purpose in the work of God. The problem is, all the pieces won't stay in their places. I assure you, God has given us enough to get the job done in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. The pieces are here. We just got to get the pieces in their places. When Israel looked up and they said, you want gold and you want silver, speaking hypothetically, they looked up and God had already provided what they needed to get the job done. Several years ago, I may have told you this at missions conference, but like I told you last week, if I use an illustration from missions conference, I was not the pastor then, so it doesn't count. I get the right to use it again. Many years ago, my wife and I were praying about our faith promise missions, what we're going to give to missions that year, and God wanted us to raise our amount significantly. And I said, okay, God, if you provide it, I'll give it. Pretty easy, isn't it? You provide it, I'll give it. And so we were praying about buying a car at the same time. And I had picked out a gold Chevy HHR in Tallahassee, Florida. They were, they were a lot cooler to me then than they are now. My dad was going through Tallahassee. I said, stop by there and tell the guy, hold that car for me. I want that car. Dad went through there and the guy had already sold it. Boy, I got such a bad attitude about that. He sold my car. God says, if it was your car, you'd have it. 30 minutes, ask my wife, she's the honest one in the family, 30 minutes after my dad called me, I get a phone call from a good friend of mine by the name of Jason. Jason says, Brother Andrews, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. He said, you preached at our camp? Yeah, I remember that and all that. He says, look, we, we have a, a, a minivan in 1999, I think it was Nissan Quest, fully loaded minivan, and he said, we have four kids and we just found out we're having twins. He said, we're not going to fit in the minivan anymore. And we were praying about what to do with it. And God says, give it to you. Do you want it? I'm sitting there at our kitchen counter trying to act professional. You know, I don't, you know, I did that after I got off the phone. And I said, brother, I'll be glad to buy it. No, he says, God says, give it to you. He said, if you don't take it down the hill and burn it, that's fine. But God says, give it to you. And we're going to do what God said. And we drove that van for years. So watch this. So now we're praying about what do we do for our missions? We had budgeted, we had budgeted $326 only because that's what our last car note was. We had budgeted $326 to give uh, for a car note. So when we're praying about what do we give to missions in that year, remember that? Man, that was so good. God says, well, I provided the car. Why don't you just take that and provide it for missions? You see, so God had provided. It didn't cost us a thing. It didn't cost us a thing. God says, I took care of the car, so you take care of missions with that. And oh, how God blessed when I was wondering, what am I going to do and what am I going to give? God says, I've already provided it for you. Can I tell you, God looks down from heaven today and the world's in chaos and trouble and we're wondering, what are we going to do? God says, I've already provided the people for the job, but you've got to get in your place. I think it must break the heart of God when he looks down from heaven, maybe even frustrates him a little bit to see all that he's provided. It just won't get in its place if we just got in our place and fulfilled our purpose. Oh, how we'd see God work through us. I was telling our young people today in chapel, and I'm going to hurry. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the Bible says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Think about our young people, how often God has provided them with youth and health and ability and no worry. And God says, hey, you go and be what that world needs right now. He told Timothy, he says, be thou an example of the believers. But so often what God's provided gets squandered. I want to show you where it gets squandered at. The last thing I want you to see. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter number 34, or 32, I'm sorry. I'll give you this and we'll be done. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about how to make the vision become visible. 
God says, I've provided everything you need, but everything you need has got to get in its place and do its part. While Moses is up on the mountain, something catastrophic happens. Next is chapter number 32. The Bible says, when the people saw that Moses delayed from coming down the mount, out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. Instead of him, up, make us gods, lowercase g, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of, e- of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in the ears, and brought them unto Aaron. He received them at their hand and fashioned them with a graving tool after he'd made it a molten calf. And they said, this be thy God, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now watch real quickly. God showed them the end product. I want a sanctuary where I can dwell and you can get to know me and I get to know you and we are close. And God says, okay, on the back end is the product. On the front end, I've given you a promise. In the middle, I've provided exactly what you need. But the fourth thing this morning, I want you to notice the entrance of a problem. The entrance of a problem. We see what God has provided is now being used for an alternative to God's plan. You know, it's amazing, the devil, how sharp he is at always providing alternatives to what God desires be done. God had provided what they would need to get this job done, and yet now we see the people of God taking what was provided and being offered unto idols. Now, how often this morning is it that we see God desiring to work, but God's people are unwilling to invest in the work of God or unable to invest in the work of God because we have taken what God has blessed us with and we've offered it unto idols. What are idols? They're simply alternatives to God. How often are we not able to serve God with our time and our talents because our time and our talents are being offered unto idols? Now you say, what do you mean idols? Are we talking about these little gods that we have in our offices and our living rooms? No, they're alternatives to God. How often does God bless us with health and life and strength, but we can't give that to the service of God because we're giving it to the service of self. That's where I'm at. Notice what they said. They says, up, make us gods. We want our gods. And I'll tell you today, that same DNA that flowed through their veins is the same DNA that flows through yours and mine. A desire to want us and what I want and my gods. And we can't serve God. And we can't give God what he's provided to serve him with because we're too busy offering it up to the gods of us. Now, folks, I hope I'm not the only person there this morning, but so often it's a decision we have to make. Am I going to take what God's provided and give it to the cause of Christ, my time, my talent? It's sad that most people don't get serious about serving God until after they're 60 years old. They start looking and seeing the end is closer to them than the beginning. And you're thinking, I might better get something done. Now, some of you may live to be 120. I saw some of your face just fell. You might live to be 120. The man's 60, 70, 80 years old. Look, just the course of life. You're getting closer to the end than you are the beginning, and you start thinking about serving God. And then we start thinking, how can I serve God? But there's a problem. We've already given the best years of our life, our time, our talents, our resources, our substance. We've given ourselves to the idols, and we have nothing to lay at the feet of Jesus. Oftentimes, we tell the story of the prodigal son, but I want you to think about the prodigal son. The substance that he had was provided to him by his father. Remember, he went to his dad, and he says, give me what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. His father provided that, and rather than use it for his future, he took it, and the Bible says that he wasted it on riotous living. You know what it means? It means he took the substance of his father, and he spent it on himself. The the father provided what he needed, and yet he squandered what he had, and he came back as a beggar. Folks, James 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. It comes from our Father. If you've got health or you've got wealth, it came from God. God has provided it, and God says, hey, I gave you good health. You know, there's a lot of people this morning who do not even have the health to make it to church. If God gives you health, hey, use it for the glory of God. Put that health that God gave you to his purpose. 
And let's not squander the health and wealth that God gave us on idols that cannot profit nor deliver. John chapter 9, Jesus said this, and I'll hurry. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. He says, there's not going to be a whole lot of time left. I've got to get busy. I've got a limited amount of time. He had a limited amount of life. He's going to live 33 years, and he was going to redeem the time for the work of his father. Now, folks, this morning, what has God blessed us with? What substance has God blessed us with? What health has God blessed us with? And what are we giving it to this morning? The entrance of a problem. We've got to decide what we're going to invest in. The Bible says this life is but a vapor. It appeareth and it vanisheth away. It's, it's going to be gone. We've only had two or three cold mornings, but you walk outside. I'm so thankful for remote start on the cars. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's a gift from God. I really do. That's a good gift. You hit that remote start and your seat starts warming up. I mean, that's just awesome. Anyway, you walk outside and you breathe and you see that vapor and it's gone. And you know, how often do we invest what God's provided in this vapor of a life? Do you know those, that golden calf couldn't do anything for them? It couldn't provide for them. It couldn't protect them. That golden calf was a waste of their time, and yet they invested what God had provided in something that couldn't deliver for them. Folks, what are we investing in this morning? What are we investing? What has God provided that we're investing in something that can do nothing for us? In the end, God promised us we could have a place, his church, that he would build he wants us to be a part of it. First Corinthians, he says he set the members as it pleased him. The question is, are we going to have what God wants at Central Baptist Church? Are we going to have what we want? I assure you what we want will do nothing for us. But what God wants for this place where people can meet him and know him and get close to him, can I tell you, that's something that will not only change us here, but the folks who don't even know about this place yet. But it's going to require an investment. He said in chapter 25, he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The question is simple this morning. Are we willing to invest in what God desires for this place? God's given us a vision of what he desires. He desires that we be uh, every part making increase, that we be engaged, that we be fulfilling his will in this place, participating in what God's called us to do. Are we going to give our best years to something that cannot do for us what only God can do for us? Now, folks, number one, understand the end product will be wonderful, but it's going to require an investment by the people of God to accomplish what God's calling us to today. And if God's provided health, if God's provided wealth, let's make sure we use it for his purpose, for what he's called us to do. But we've got to get past that problem. The problem is self. The problem is what I want, and let us make ourselves God. We've got to get past us to find what God could only provide for us in this place. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.